First Peter, First Peter chapter three. Let's read verses eight through twelve. We'll be picking back up where we left off last week, and then we will talk about each of those verses. There's so much in just these verses alone. First Peter chapter three, verse eight. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for, he's, re, he's quoting or referring back to Psalm 34 here. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So we take a look at these few verses. Let me start by saying one of my, I think is one of my favorite psalms, at least this morning. And that's Psalm 139.14. And it says, I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So the word here is cultivate. Cultivate love. Cultivate meaning pre preparation for sowing and reaping. It means rise and grow. It means acquire and develop. To cultivate love. To, we'll see here in the letter today from Peter to these believers. These believers, if you remember, he's writing to those who are hurting. They're going through tremendous trials in their life, tremendous persecution in their life because they're a Christian. Even though they fulfilled the Judaism and the fact that they can celebrate what they've been taught their whole lives. And now they can say that the Messiah has arrived. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he rose from the dead. Just as the scripture said, and he lives at the right hand of the Father. Just as the scripture says, they fulfilled that. And you would think people would go be praising and, and happy for them. But when you're in religion and not a relationship, even those who are in the religion of Judaism are no religion at all. They choose darkness over believing who Jesus Christ is as the Messiah. And so of that, they started becoming, as a Christian, they were losing their jobs. They were losing their lives. They were losing their families. They were losing their own life, their whole identity of what their jobs and their identity of who they are and the families and where they live. They were ostracized because of their faith in the true and living God. It happened then and it happens today. But Peter is writing to these believers who are going through these trials, these persecution, and emphasizes to them 
You must cultivate love. You must cultivate this love in our relationship and this will be bring unity and love with one another. And that is how important it is as believers to keep this cultivating love in our relationships. Now in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, we see Peter uses a word here after talking about being submissive to God, being submissive to the government, being submissive to, as a wife, being a submissive as a husband, being submissive to God's will. We just studied that through chapter 2. Into chapter 3, here as we continue in chapter 3, he says, finally, all of you, not just some of you, but all of you, be of one mind. Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers or as sisters. Being tenderhearted, being courteous. The word courteous there can also mean humbled. Be humbled. So have you noticed that God uses uses others, and uses you in times of trials and tribulations. He takes this moment where you have come through a tremendous trial, a life lesson, sometimes a life-altering lesson, and you say, am I ever going to get through this? As a non-believer, you just say, I'm not, I'm not even going to make it. I'm going to die. I mean, there's, just, this is no, there's no, no value in life any longer. And you lose your hope. But even as a Christian, you can get into such despair and to take your eyes off the Lord long enough and to focus in on what the situation is, you too can also have this sense of loss of hope. But we want to be encouraged through this because as we look at this, God can use others and use you to take this area of life lessons and that have been such a hard time learning through those and you struggled through those and struggled through those situations. And God says, now I can use you in the life of other people. You are now prepared to now to be used in the life of another person who's going through the exact same issue you're going through. And it brings glory to him. Why? Because you give him all the glory. How did you make it? I don't know how I'm going to make it. How did you make it through it? By God's grace and mercy. I've turned my eyes upon Jesus. And I put my hope in him and not in the situation. And he lifted me up. And he brought me through it. He walked me, not to keep me from the valley, but he walked me through the valley. God doesn't say he's going to keep you from the trials and the tribulations and persecutions, my brothers. And my sisters, he just says, trust me and I'll walk you through it. And when you come out the other end, then I'm going to use it for my glory and my purpose in the lives of other people. And so when we take a look at this, now we see that this, this love that Peter is had, you've had this hard time. Peter, I know your life, Peter. If anyone studied Peter's life, you know the one thing that he lacked of is love. He lacked love in so many ways. As you study the scripture, God had to really break him of that pride. That self-focus, that self-determination self and, and self-will and I've, I'm in control moment type. I know it doesn't apply to any of you here. But Peter back in those days. But we see here 
that God took this person named Peter, Apostle Peter, who struggled with love, changed his life, and now God is using him to write letters about love to you and I thousands of years later. That's amazing. Don't you think that's amazing? That's amazing grace because he did not deserve or earn or anything. There's nothing there but by God's grace that he would use him. Peter starts here in verse 8 with the love for God's people. That's the word final. It means to sum it all up. Okay, guys, I'm I'm speaking to you believers. I want to sum it all up here, all about the submission to God and every aspect of your life and and the different roles and responsibilities in life. He says, I'm going to sum it all up finally. Just as the whole of the law is summed up in love, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, all the law is summed up in the love. Love God and love others. Two great commandments. So the whole human relationship is also filled, fulfilled in love. And this applies to every Christian and to every area of your life. He says by one mind, being of one mind, what does that actually mean? Most of us are willing to say, yes, I'm okay with being in one mind with everyone. Yes, one mind, I got that. As long as it's my mind. As long as everyone follows with the right decision, which is mine, then you line right up, then of course I'm like-minded with you. But most of us have to be humbled ourselves and realize that it's not the one mind is your mind. But the one mind is to be the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. See, our common mind as brothers and sisters is to be Jesus-minded, to be biblically-minded, to know the Word of God, to understand the Word, and to apply the Word, not just to be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. That is what it means for us to be one-minded. To be in this unity of love because of our love for Jesus and the love of his truth. This common or this commandment that God calls us to be in one mind, the mind of Christ, brings us back to the need to know God's word. We can't be of one mind, the mind of Christ, if you do not study the word of God. If you don't know the word of God and meditate on the word of God. But when you do. When you meditate on the word of God. Then you become this mind of Christ. And you'll be thinking rightly for the first time in your life. Now again, if you're sitting here today or if you're listening online. And you don't know Jesus Christ and haven't been born again. This is not making sense to you. But let me tell you, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. And he loves you. And he wants you to know this truth. And set you free from sin. We're all one-minded as believers. We understand that truth. And we share that truth because it's the best news we can share every day than anything else we have in our life. 
We also see this one mind speaks of the essential unity of God's example. Of people, his God people coming together in one mind with one focus and to serve God the way he wants us to serve. We are one, but we are not the same. While we should be of one mind, we can't expect everyone to be like us. And it's one of the dangers of people who, oh, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. You should be just like me. That's not true. This love is, is evidence of a unity of mind. Or unity does not mean uniformity. If you've been hanging around here anytime, you know we're so diverse in every aspect of life. You're like, why would we come together here in this place? Because we're one mind. The mind for the love of Jesus. We follow the same Savior. We're going to be worshiping together in heaven together one day. We get to serve alongside. But that doesn't mean we're the same. We don't have the same haircut, the same dress, the same this, the same that. All the outwardly things that the world tries to get you to do. Or some cult tries to get you to do. Remember, Jesus died for our sins to make us one in Christ, not our personalities. Our personalities are very diverse. But one mind. If you've ever been around a bunch of pastors, you see it's, it's amazing because we're all teaching the same word. We should be. But how we deliver that is so diverse. Remember, God has built both unity and diversity among his people. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Keep your finger where you're at, but go to Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I'm going to read this for you. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him this name of which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall, should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you confessed with your tongue? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you? 
It's interesting as we, Peter writes here about the oneness and the one mind and the, and the unity and love and cultivate this kind of love. I, I think of it from a medical background. I love using and, and pondering on these things because God miraculously created us uh, in, in our mother's womb. But if you don't understand this, maybe you will after this, but from a body's perspective, it's so interesting that each one of us has its own role to play as a human. Even within the body, each cell has its own purpose in the body. By every cell in your body has the same DNA code written in each and every cell. But not every cell operates exactly the same way within the body. But they're one body. The master plan for your entire body is set upon God in the DNA that he sets in every single cell within your body. And it has the same mind to work together to have you live this human life. It's a miraculous thing. We could also see it as a Christian's like a good choir. Each one sings his own or her own voice, and some sing different parts. But everyone sings to the same music and in a harmony with one another. There's a oneness, but differences. And it's in this that Peter is emphasizing the members of the body work together in unity, even though they are all so differently sounding lovely, of course. Of course, the fellowship, as we gather together, are so different in personalities, so different in the backgrounds and experiences, so different in so many ways of how we look and how we speak and communicate or don't communicate, but how that all works but how lovely it is when you get together and their one-mindedness. And there's a unity. There's a cultivating of love within the body of Christ, no other. But the warning that Peter is saying, the warning that I give to you this morning as a pastor, just like the body, if a cell goes rogue on the body, it's called cancer, it's got to be removed. Or it's got to become brought to back to health. If someone is out of tune or playing some other song when everyone else is singing this, they've got to stop and get in line with the one-mindedness of the song and the harmony that they're singing. Because if they don't, what will it cause? It'll cause confusion. It'll cause chaos. It'll cause strife. It causes difficulty. So Peter is saying to them, I understand. You're under a lot of trials. You're under persecution. There's a lot of things going on that are things that are outside your control. You have health issues. You have all kinds of things going against you. And in those difficulties, it can bring out some of the most ugliest of things in your mind, in your thoughts, and your actions. But he says, 
But don't let that control you and harm the unity among the brothers and sisters. You you need to cultivate the love. You need to trust me through those difficulties to keep that unity and to keep that love among in your family, friends, co-workers, and yes, even the body of Christ. And he highlights here, he says to those Christians that may different, but let me make sure I clear on this, that Christians may differ on how things are to be done. Because we all have our own approaches of how things should be done. And that's okay. It's, it's, there's a synergy. There's a goodness about learning and different facets of how to accomplish something. And God giving you wisdom and helping you to do that among a, gr- a group of people. So you can differ in how things can be done, but we must agree on what is to be done and why it's to be done. We must agree on what and why. How can differ. And he says one of the things that must be one-minded is around compassion and love and tender-hearted and courteous or being humbled. He says the evidence of this cultivating love within the body of Christ, within your family, is this evidence of love. And Peter describes this kind, warm love that should be among the people of God. That we should be compassionate, a sincere uh, feeling for or a feeling with the needs of others. You just have a compassion for people's needs that are in. A sympathy comes from this word in the Greek word for compassion. That we're to have sympathy, we have compassion for those around. You may not understand what they're going through, but you can still have compassion. You may have never experienced it in your life. That doesn't mean that God can't use you in that life of that person and show compassion. Peter also says you need to have a brotherly love. This brotherly means philia or philia or philadelphos, which is a Greek word that comes from brotherly or friendly love. The one who is loved. We are to have this this friendship, this brother, this sisterly love for one another. We're to be tender-hearted. Peter says, love reveals itself in a tenderness of heart. Not a hard heart, not a critical heart, but a tender heart, a soft heart toward other people. See, in the Roman culture, that was not in the culture of that day. In the Roman culture, is you're to be so hard, you could even take a person's life and not have a blink. You could be so critical, you look at something and you'd be so critical of someone and you had no problem. That was the Roman culture. And we're finding that same culture today. That people can be so unloving and so uncaring and so hard-hearted and critical and spirited because they want what they want and how they want it. We have to protect ourselves. We, have to def- we, we absolutely have to change in that part and allow God to soften your heart and change your heart regarding this critical hard-heartedness toward other people. 
See, in the Roman Empire, it was all about death and about control and about the so many things. It was not the Christian message of being tenderhearted. And so you can imagine your brothers and sisters in those days. They're sitting there going from this one culture now. It's not about you. It's about others and being tenderhearted and showing love and not critically minded toward. That was like that was completely against the culture. Today we're flooded with such a plethora of bad news and and divisiveness and criticality and and just tearing openly in every social media. It's rampant today. You can literally put something out on social media and it can go out to thousands instantly. Let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters, stop it. You need to stop it. If you have no self-control, delete the social media. You're killing yourself from a reputation of the fact that you're calling yourself a Christian and see these scriptures you're putting out in the next minute, you're just divisively just tearing people apart. Do you see the hypocrisy of that? It's hypocrisy. If you can't control your, what you're typing because you're so emotional, get rid of it. Spare God's people from sitting, oh, I know a Christian who's on social media. That's the kind of love you have? Please don't do that to us. Especially don't do it to your Lord. Grow up. Mature. Speak compassion. Speak a friendly love. A tender love. Be a one who... We need compassion. We need this friendly love and our concern for others. That is where we want to grow and mature in our faith. To even to a point of, of a um, courteous or polite or humbleness we see in the, in the definition of that Greek word here. It means more than not just being, oh, he's, she's ladylike or he's very gentlemanlike. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a polite, yes. But more, he's so humble. He's not prideful. To be humble-minded is a good definition here of courteous. It means humility is the foundation of courtesy. For the humbled person always puts others ahead of himself or herself. Always. Oh, I'm a humbled man. Oh, <laughs> that usually is a sign that you're not. <laughs> typically remember that this was the measure that Jesus gave to the world to identify his true disciples by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another John 13 35 are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Of course I am. Does your love for others reflect that? Because Jesus says that's the measurement. Jesus did not command us to like our brothers and sisters in Christ. He did not say that. You need to like your brothers and sisters when you get together on Sundays. Okay, can you at least like them? He didn't say that. That wasn't the command. 
The command was to love them. We are commanded to love them. And once we start choosing to love them, we will start to like them. Why? Because your heart will change. Your heart will change toward others. Not only should we cultivate love among God's people, but we should also love our enemies. Ooh, now that's hard for conversation. But Peter was serious. By the power of the Holy Spirit, gave these words to Peter to give to us to this day. That yet, yes, it's easy to love your brothers and sisters because you've just grown and you've, oh, it's so great. But love my enemies? The one who's persecuting me, the one who's putting me through these trials, the one who just tears me up on social media and everything else? Yes. Peter says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. I want you not to, because they're doing evil towards you, don't turn around and do evil back. That's not how it works for us. If they're being ungodly towards you, the worst thing you can do, Peter says, and what the Spirit of God tells us today, do not turn around and be an ungodly witness or ungodly manner and words that you use toward that person. They curse you out. You don't turn around and curse them out. You're not even supposed to be cursing. Reviling? What does reviling mean? Does it get any worse than evil? Yes, reviling is when you actively act out and criticize and look for destructing of that person. If someone's trying to destroy you, you don't turn around and try to destroy them. But you don't understand, Pastor, what he did it with my reputation at work. Who gave you the job? God gave you that job. Do you not think God can bring you through that job? And raise you up above that. Remember, the recipients of this letter were experiencing certain amount of personal persecution because they were doing the will of God. Do you know you can go through trials and tribulations and persecutions and you're in the perfect will of God? You know you can be sick, you can get cancer, you can get all kinds of problems, even COVID, and know and still know that you're in the perfect will of God. It wasn't the fact that you've sinned or something. That false teaching is, is terrible. And you should not be listening to any teachers who teach that false teaching. The wealthy, healthy, and wise doctrine. Don't let that affect you. Don't listen to it. Peter warned them that official persecution was just around the corner for them. That they better be prepared because persecution was coming because of their faith in Jesus. Even the church today better be prepared because difficult times are ahead of us. How do we know this? Because we see it happening to our brothers and sisters all around the world. The wave, the, the darkness is flooding. Are you prepared to live for Christ through persecution? 
Some of you have told me their stories and how you're persecuted at work because of your faith, in your families because of your faith, your friends because of your faith. But let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters, God is for you who can be against you. No weapon can be formed against you. Do they not know who your heavenly father is? He's like a little boy. Do you know who my big my dad is? You should have that same attitude. Do you understand that God sees everything and knows everything and he loves me? And you're coming against his child? They don't. But you do. So we are not to return any dispute with another dispute or argument with argument. Personality conflicts, do not be, let them linger among you as brothers and sisters even. Even if one Christian gets out of line and says something that does not settle with you well because they're not just in the right mind that morning, they're just not, they didn't pray up and just really settle their hearts, they're really off on the tangents and things are difficult and to say things, you, as the mature Christian of that day, of that moment, don't flame the fire. Don't flame the flames. You are there to help to settle that, to, to look to, to, even though they were very porky pinish and they're very prickly to get around that Sunday and ooh, or that, that Wednesday or, or at work and they're pretty, I'm uh, touch them, I feel like I'm being pricked. Or they're nipping because sheep nip, sheep bite. Did you know that? You don't respond by biting them back. Peter says, the Holy Spirit says to us, no, no, on the contrary, no evil for evil, no rivaling for rivaling, but contrary, I want you to turn on and I want you to bless them. As we worshiped, as, 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 as Mark led us to to, to, to pray a blessing as we sang to God. We're praying a blessing upon those you, God put on your mind. That is what God is asking us to do. See, the natural response to hostility is retaliation, and that is not what we're to do. That is why we have such ethnic conflicts all over the world, and even our own countries, because... One group wrongs another. One wrongs another. And the other one believes they have to turn around and just get them back. They need to respond and fight back. But as a Christian, you do not. Jesus reminds us that, is, that it is no great credit if we love those who love us in return. The real test for us as a Christian, if you're a mature Christian, is that you can demonstrate compassion to your enemies. We see that in Matthew 5, verses 44 through 47. See, we have a choice to live one of three levels of life. You can choose, which I know none of you would do this, but others who are non-believers. We can return evil for good, that's what we call the satanic level. That is pure evil. When someone's doing good and someone does evil against that good, that's satanic. It's darkness. That's one level. I know none of you are probably living at that level. 
But then there's another level where you turn good for good. When someone does good, oh, you do good for them. Oh, that's it. Very simple. Very humanistic level. When someone does evil, you do evil. Very humanistic level. That's the level you have. Are you at that level? Where God wants us to be is the next level. A higher level. That level is when you do good for evil. That's the divine level. That is a godly response. When someone's doing evil, you turn around and bless. You do good toward them. That is the level that we need to mature to. In every aspect of our life. That doesn't apply just to church. That applies within your homes. That applies within your family circles, your work schedule, work uh, circles. This is how we as a Christian, as you mature and grow. If you're not there yet, that's not condemnation. That just reveals to you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you need to grow and mature. That's all. Peter's just encouraging him. You need to grow through these trials and tribulations. You need to grow and cultivate this love in every aspect of your life. We must operate on the basis of mercy and grace. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect example of this approach. We read that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. That we operate on mercy toward other people. We operate on grace toward other people. That is our mindset. Because we don't always get it right. You're not perfect. You're not complete yet. God's work and sanctification in your life is not complete until we are in his presence. And you really don't know where someone is in their relationship with Christ. They may act like a Christian. They may have all the words down like a Christian. They may have been around you a long time, been coming to church a long time. That doesn't mean they're saved. That doesn't mean they've been regenerated, born again. They still need Jesus to come into their heart. They haven't opened their life to him yet. So just because they come to church, get to know them to understand where they are in their walk with Christ. Let me read Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. I think it's very important to read. If you want to flip to this, because it's important why I'm reading this. is not normally what I do. But I'm going to read these passages because these are that powerful in regards to our lesson today. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, if you want to follow along or just listen. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and an honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sights of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. 
But it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. Give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but over, overcome evil with good. We love one another, my brothers and sisters. But not only for the sake of Jesus do we love each other. Even though we, we do it for the sake of Jesus because we're, we're part of the one body in Christ. But we also love one another, but not only for the sake of, because they're a brother and sister in Christ. And that's why we love them. Because he died for him and for her, just like he died for me on that cross. Even though that is a great reason to love that person. But we also love one another for our own sake. We love others for our own sake by blessing those who have wronged us. And we will inherit a blessing. If you can't love for the sake of Jesus or for the sake of your brother, then do it for your own sake. Because you're missing out on the blessing. The blessing, I believe, as I ponder on this week, is the fact that you will not be, you'll be blessed because you will not be brought down because of, of bitterness that can set in one's heart when someone does evil against you. And you allow evilness, that darkness to come in and to settle in your heart. There's a, there's a bitterness that can settle. It's just a slight resentment, slight discourse, slight this, slight that. My brothers and sisters, it will grow to bitterness. It'll take a root of bitterness and it will destroy you. That's not my words. Those are God's words. That's, that's not a, that won't happen to me moment. If you allow it, unforgiveness in your life, it will destroy you. So for your own sake, if you can't do it for Jesus because he died for you, if, he didn't, if you can't do it for your brothers and sisters who he's brought together to, as one body to serve him and others, then do it for your own sake. Now, it's interesting here in verses 10 through 12, and we end here, that we should cultivate love for one another and love for our enemies and love life. He quotes here out of Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, and it demonstrates this blessing that comes to those who turn away from evil and choose to do good. To love life that is given to you, to choose to love it. It's a choice that you have. He says, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When we take a look at these, 
the news of impeding, the impending persecution and trials that were going to come upon these believers in that day. Peter is encouraging him and says, that should not cause you as a believer to give up on life. Even though you're going to be persecuted for your faith, people are coming against you, even the ones who are the most closest to you will come against you. That should not be a reason to give up life. To give up hope. That is, that is not the reason. What appears to be bad days in your mind, actually, in the world's mind, in your mind, actually, God says, are good days for a Christian. If we meet certain conditions, look at the conditions that Peter gives us, or what God gave us back in Psalm 34. First, we must deliberately decide to love life. That is an act of will. I choose, I will, I choose today to love my life that God has given me. I know. You're saying my life is messed up, Pastor. You have no idea. I don't need to know. I've been there, done that. I'm just telling you on the other side, walking with Jesus long enough now. That it's good and it's right. But you have to act the will. You have to choose. He who wills to love life. It's an attitude of faith and sees the best in every situation. You're not pessimistic. You're optimistic. Not in what the world offers, but what God is going to do through the situation. You choose to enjoy life because you know that God is in control of your life. Choose today. Choose today, my brothers and sisters. Decide to love your life today that God has given you. The second condition is we must control our tongues. Because many of our problems is what comes off that little tongue. James warns us, does he not? And what you say and how you say it, be careful because many of the problems of life are caused by the wrong words or spoken with the wrong spirit or have a complaining attitude. You complain and you wonder why you're having challenges in your relationships. Because you hate your life and you tell everyone about it. That makes a loving kind of fellowship, doesn't it? That really makes it really good in your life and when you come home and you're in your house. I hate my life and I hate this and oh, you complain. That makes it really fun to come home. Or work. I hate my work. I hate my life. I can't believe I'm here. And you wonder why you're having problems with work. Choose to love your life. Choose to love what God is doing in and through your life and choose to control that tongue of yours. Read James 3 regularly. Put it in your phone. Read James 3 regularly and also pray Psalm 141.3 daily. What is 141.3? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That should be your prayer, my prayer, every day. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. 
and keep watch over the door of my lips. Psalm 141.3. The third condition he gives us here in the scriptures, we must hate evil and do good. We need both the negative and the positive in this life. Doing good is often very difficult because what we do good in a general rule, we say no one really notices what I'm doing. Do they not notice what I do for them? Do they not notice what I have sacrificed for them? Don't they notice what I have given up my life for them? And we can get wrapped up into that. But then something evil or something wrong goes wrong, it seems to get rewarded tremendously. Everyone knows about it. And it and you struggle with these things. But you have to understand the rewards of good are far better and far greater and more secure than rewards for evil will ever be. God promises this in the passage quoted by Peter here in the Psalms that we must. And the fourth, the fourth element is that we must seek and pursue peace. That's an active role that you and I daily must choose. I must choose to seek peace and pursue it. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall, not, for they shall be called the sons of God. Are you a peacemaker? Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It's a choice. I'm going to choose to live peaceably with my coworker who absolutely hates my guts. Or my neighbor. Or fill in the blank. Whatever, whoever you're challenged with today. Let me put it that way. I hope it's not your spouse. That's a whole other conversation. Sometimes it is not possible. And I understand that. But we in Romans 14, 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. What God is telling us is you can at least edify the person who's trying to tear you up. Pray and ask God to give you something encouraging and positive to encourage and edify those who come against you. You've heard me say this many times in my early days with work. People absolutely, I don't even think they even know why they hated me. <laughs> I just, there's a darkness does not, as the scripture says, darkness does not like light. And they just, something about my life they just did not like because they love their darkness. And I didn't play in their dirty jokes. And I didn't watch the this and that. And I didn't go out to drinking and partying and stuff. My life changed. I, I didn't want any of that. They didn't like it in, the, in, the, in, in my military circles. And then my civilian circle. And I had to learn when someone said something nasty about me, I found a bottle of water and I always gave them a bottle of water. I'd set it on their desk. I'd say, oh, I was thinking of you. You want a bottle of water? After just five minutes, ten minutes earlier, they were cursing me out. I would look for ways to show love because I was going to protect my heart and not let it get bitter toward that person. Because I knew 
Jesus died for that man just as much as he died for me. He loves that man just as much as he loves me. And one day I pray he's going to be a brother and we're going to be worshiping together. That's the mindset I had to choose and not retaliate against people coming against me. Are you going to make that same choice today and the days to come? In verse 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on, and your, his ears are open, to, are, at, are open to the righteous. See, that righteous is you. You're the righteous. As a believer, you're the righteous. The eyes and the ears of the Lord are figures of speech. It's a fancy term that we see of anthropomorphism, which is an attribute that we see in the scripture that is a place of human physical traits to emphasize who God is. But what that means in a very simplistic way, when you see that God's ears and eyes and ears are hearing and seeing, is that God is watchfully, has oversight of your life, and has careful attention to every detail of your life. So when you start losing hope and you have a relationship with Jesus, just remind yourself that your Heavenly Father is watchfully and carefully watching over you because he loves you. See, you have to remember the scripture because Peter quoted this, these verses out of Psalm 34. And it, so it would be profitable for you and I to read of all of Psalm 34. So that's your assignment today. Because it describes God's meaning of good days. To choose to have good days. It's, it's talking about the fact that it's necessary and free that we get to Ponder on these as good days. Even though there's problems and trials and tribulations that are going on in your life, you can choose this day that this is going to be a good day. Why? Because God is going to bring you through and reveal himself tremendously. Who wrote Psalm 34? David. And when he wrote this Psalm 34, David wrote this Psalm while, while he was running for his life. And he said this was a good day. So the next time you think you are having a bad day and you hate life, read Psalm 34. And you may discover you're really having a good day for the glory of God. And if we really embrace what Peter is saying, and what David is declaring, and what, what James has trying to instill in our lives in James chapter 3, or James chapter 1, I should say, verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. If you will embrace this truth, we would not try to make our life something perfect or some social media facade. We would realize it truly is a good day as you walk in the Lord. Instead, we should, we should be those who say, it is the day of difficulty, yes. It has been the years of just 
that I've hated being where I am in life. But I'm going to have the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good through it all. It's only a matter of time. You'll find that if you love life, because God will meet you in the midst of your difficulty, he will. But my question to you again today, have you given your life to Jesus Christ to experience this assurance in your life?